Welcome to the Top Gear magazine podcast, a peek behind the curtain of what it's really like to drive other people's cars for a living. These are the stories behind the stories. Hello everyone and welcome to the Top Gear magazine podcast. I'm Jack Ricks, forgot my name there momentarily, joined by Rowan Horncastle, Ollie Marriage and Ollie Q um, for a podcast that I'm very excited about this one. Very oh, excited yeah. about this one, gentlemen. It's, it's a um, big one. It's one of the highlights of the year. I think this yeah. is officially a biggie. Um, so uh, this is uh, one of the podcasts where there is a feature in the next issue, which is just too big to be bundled in with the rest of the stuff. So we're going to pull it out and talk about it on its own. But to be honest, this could be about a series of we're about 24 podcasts, couldn't it? This also, yeah. it's not the next issue. It's the issue that's out it's today. It's the issue that's out today. I've got my dates mixed up. You can go up. and yeah. get it right now. You can. Mm. Go and buy the issue right now that has the world exclusive drive in the Gordon Murray T50. Um, yes. Yes. Um, it's. Uh, I'm sitting next to the man who actually got to drive it, and I'm, I just don't know what it is. He's just annoying me this morning. <laughs> yeah, can you kick him for me? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, very, very special moment where, um, you know, we, we, we're the first to get behind the wheel of this car. Um, uh, we, we're going to tell you all about what we did with it, an epic mm. road trip um, across Europe. Um, that will come later. And, and what else are we going to do at the end of the pod? Well, I don't think we should let Ollie off the hook here. Um, we're going <laughs> to ask him for his verdict, not just on the T50, but mm. as as Top Gear's Mr. Hypercar, as Top Gear's captain of carbon fibre, <laughs> where does it sit in the pantheon of the greats? So yeah, stay tuned for that at the end. Has Ollie, cool. has Ollie driven them all? Yeah, I've just been racking them up. He's He's... <laughs> done the Aston Martin Valkyrie on the road which no one outside of Aston Martin has or an owner has done You've driven the Holy Trinity haven't you LaFerrari yep. Porsche 918 McLaren P1 Senna yeah, swelling here slightly. various <laughs> Koenigseggs you know myriad Paganis he's done the lot Bugatti's the whole lot yeah Bugatti's a, oh, I forgot Bugatti's he's done so many yeah. so I've built a Bugatti there we go oh. so if, if there's <laughs> anyone built a Koenigsegg too yeah. built a Koenigsegg, if there's yeah. anyone in the world who can give you the definitive T50 verdict he's sitting over there and you're only going to hear it on this podcast the poor person that received the Bugatti built by you <laughs> I, think they, I think they did a bit of talk checking <laughs> <laughs> yeah just let's just check those bolts again bye Ollie thanks for coming yeah. well, take um, it apart so, yes, as I say, we're going we're gonna to tell you all about what we did with this car, you know, a suitably epic trip in it, um, what the car is. We're going to, um, Ollie's going to give you his verdict and impressions on the car, and then we'll come round to, you know, whether it's the goat um, at the end. But what I thought I wanted to s- uh, start with was just the backstory of Top Gear and the T50, because when you actually put it down on paper, we have done... It's been, it's, been a been a he- it's been a hell of a yeah. journey, actually, because yeah. I remember four and a half years ago, so um, myself and Charlie Turner, um, who was editor-in-chief at the time, um, we got an email, well, Charlie got an email, um, from Gordon Murray, or Gordon Murray's office, saying, Gordon <laughs> would like... What was it? Gordon at AOL.com or something <laughs> yeah. like that? Yeah. G- new car subject heading. Gordon29v12 <laughs> at hotmail.com. Um, Light.wait. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the lightest email account you can get. Yeah. No, just saying um, Gordon would like to see you in his office. But at this time... What you know, is he, like the headmaster? Listen, <laughs> see me at Let's lunchtime. Let's be honest, he is. If Gordon <laughs> yeah. wants to see you in his office, you, you worry a little bit that you've done something wrong. Yeah. Um, 
but see, deep down you're quite excited. So at this point we didn't know what he was working on. Um, and um, and so yeah, he'd we... been quite eclectic actually over the last few years, hasn't he? He'd, he'd done that sort of T25, T26 city car. Mm-hmm. He'd done the Ox flat pack truck. Sure. So leading on from that, yeah. I, no, do, yeah, I thought know. maybe, you know, a manufacturer sort of bought the T25 mm. concept or, or, or something. But yeah. I, I certainly wasn't thinking he's going to do a successor to the McLaren F1. That wasn't mm. in, that wasn't really in our minds. Anyway, yeah. went into the thing. He, uh, he, he revealed this now quite famous profile sketch of the T50, which was the first picture they released of the car, which is kind of a schematic that shows the fan and, and, and the engine and the packaging of the car. And he explained his targets for it, and he explained how it was all going to work, and we left that meeting with our jaws just scraping along the floor. It was... Yeah. We were sort of thinking... Nah, he's not going to pull that one off. And then um, it was about a year later that we got a, um, uh, we did walk around with the, it was the first mm-hmm. full-size model with the T50 where Gordon gave us and a few other journalists um, a, a full tour of the car. Mm-hmm. But what we did was we managed to source Gordon Murray's McLaren F1. They, the I ex Gordon Murray, wasn't it? Ex, sold it? He sold it for 20 million quid <laughs> or something a few years before, XP3. Um, mm. We managed to track it down, uh, borrow it, and as a surprise for Gordon, put it in the garage next to the one we were filming for mm. the T50. So we, we took him through the door, and there it was, his his old baby. What was his reaction? Yeah. Uh, he was he was sort of slightly speechless. I basically he sort of tried to sort of act smooth and act casual, as if well, he kind of knew that it was going to happen. And at the end, I was like, you didn't know we'd brought that car along brought you? your ex and, along. and he was like yeah. no I had no idea well, I was going to yeah. say you have like, to play it cool you see your ex and you, you, you got to I've got someone better now yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's faster that one through there yeah Newer, it's lighter shiner. let's not go there younger yeah. but hotter it, model so he was able just to point out basically all the stuff on the car that many people call the greatest supercar of all time that he actually hated oh it was brilliant yeah. so it was literally it was a, a, a critique of the F1 for mm. where he was like that that sills too wide those headlights are crap you know <laughs> yeah. that doesn't work the brakes the, squeak. the spine's too wide the headlamps are like glowworms in a jar the yeah. aircon was hopeless brakes squeak clutch needs adjusting every 5,000 miles Fuel tank is a bag and needs replacing every five years and loading luggage in the lockers. He, honestly, he made it sound like a leggy Kia Picanto, like <laughs> the way he was describing it. And that's a McLaren F1, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so that happened. Um, what did we do next? We um, His garage? Went to see his car collection, didn't oh, we? we? Yes, that was fascinating. That was a garage. Yeah. So what um, you do with 20 million quid once you've cashed in your F1, you buy all the cars you've promised yourself since you were a small boy. Yeah. And qu- quite a lot of motorbikes, most of which his wife didn't know about. Yeah, a lot of sort of 50cc Italian motorbikes. Mm. He seems to have collected one of each. There's only, I think, one car in the entire collection that weighs more than a tonne. 1,400 kilo. I think it was a Ford Thunderbird. Oh, Ford Thunderbird. Was the that, Ford, that wasn't the there SLR. on the day, no. but the SLR McLaren as well. Ah, of course. Which, mm. you know, he has to have. Because Wait, yeah. rattle off quickly for, for the listeners what other things Gordon Murray's got in his garage. Oh, it was various Abarths and Alfa Romeos and a Honda S600. Late 60s. Italian lightweights. Yeah, loads of, but lotuses most, as well. Lotuses, he loves yeah. loads of lands because that was what, when he first moved over from South Africa, mm. that was his dream to own a land and he bought a really baggy, shonky one and somehow it didn't put him off British sports cars. But then, you know, there was there was his own stuff as well, like the light, com- the light car company Rocket, mm-hmm. um, the yeah. highest revving car until the T50 came along. There yeah. was a replica F1 cars in there as well. His um, mm. Duckham special that raced that 
Le Mans with uh, Alan de Cadenet. So it was just, it's a real hall of fame. And if you yeah. want to see it, go on YouTube now and type in Gordon Murray's Garage yeah. and then there's a, a lovely long form video for in you. In fact, to all of dive these, in. apart from the meeting with Charlie Turner and I right <laughs> at the beginning, <laughs> yeah, yeah. is on YouTube. Yeah. We didn't know, we probably would have filmed it. It would have been a great video. Anyway, um, and then after that, we, so Jan 22, you got to go down Ollie Q and uh, configure a yeah. 250. I got to pretend, like, it's the closest I'll get to owning one, was I got the customer treatment for a day because all the hundred people who are getting one of these cars, you get to, as part of it, you get to network with Gordon Murray. He doesn't just add you on LinkedIn. You go down to the factory and he talks you through their production process. You meet the people who are assembling your car and you get the paint swatches, the leather samples. You sit in the seating buck in this amazing center driving position. They'll adjust the pedals and the steering wheel just so, so you're going to fit... And yeah, of course, that's only going to happen to 100 people, except it happened to 101 because I got to go down <laughs> and leaf through the catalogue and decide how to have one. And, and have do, you have to, do you have to wear a, a, a kind of paisley or floral Hawaiian shirt while walking around too, just to get the full experience <laughs> when you're going around with Gordon specking your car? Oh, I felt quite underdressed, actually. Yeah, but he did. Um, I think he was. He looked a bit sort of like Download Festival that day, like a black band <laughs> T-shirt on, a blazer. <laughs> you know, he looked pretty rock and roll. He mixes it up. He mixes it up. It's a bit like um, Ferrari where you're not allowed to wear shorts at Fiorano. Yeah. At Gordon Murray's place, you're not allowed in without a floral. Sure. You have yeah, to wear exactly. palm trees. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so that was again very special. Um, Check out the videos. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're up as well. They're there, there as well. And then six months ago, um, Ollie Marriage and I got to uh, experience. Uh, normally, we don't do passenger rides, but um, we were both passengers at the yeah, same yeah. time. For, first to experience um, the T50 in full twelve thousand RPM song. On yeah. the runway at the top of your test track, which is a nice, mm. nice little. Which lick. was pretty good, wasn't it? That was that was special with Dario uh, Franchitti driving. Um, yeah, and he's. Always... We went all the way down to Goodwood in it. Yeah, we did the we had the whole trip out for the day. It was great. And yeah. this was yeah, right did. before like the car. We knew what it was going to look like. We'd seen mm. the interior. We knew the specs as much as they were going to reveal them. But this was in the period when Gordon was kind of fiddling with it, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. He was sort of, you know, Dario was kind of hinting that we're mostly pretty happy with this. Yeah, but the boss man. He'll let you know when it's ready for you guys mm. to sit in the middle because yeah. it's not going to be let out into the mm. world until he's got it Murray approved. It's an yeah. interesting point, actually, mm. because um, so next comes us actually driving it. But um, normally with car manufacturers, you know, they have quite rigid production schedules and that car will go into production then and you can get hold of a press car on this date. And it's it's fairly set in stone with a little bit of wiggle room, you know. But with um, with GMA, with Gordon Murray Automotive, you know, it is it's ready when Gordon says it's ready. So, you know, we're here, we're waiting, awaiting further updates, you know. We'd love to <laughs> chat about driving it. It's like, we'll let you know when it's ready. And it, it's a very different experience um, because, you know, things can change at the very last minute. Gordon's not going to let anyone behind the wheel unless he personally thinks the car is perfect. Um, yeah. And it's got his name on it, hasn't it? He's so got his name on it. There's not mate. many cars around, actually, where... The person's whose name on the badge is still around to sign it off. I mean, Mr. Pagani, Mr. Koenigsegg, and Mr. Murray, I Mr. guess. There's not that but many otherwise. Yeah, exactly. So he, yeah. it's his prerogative. Cool. So so then we arrive at the drive of we the do. T50. I, what, yeah, what, yeah. what do you want to do? Why, why don't we give people a, a bit of a refresher of the car? Okay, yeah, a bit is. of tech spec mm. refresher, yeah, 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 basically. Yeah. So it is, it's, it's what stands apart, what it stands apart for is its weight. 
because it, it weighs less than a ton. <sighs> so everything on it has been super lightweight and concentrated on. So it's not just the materials. It's the focus on every single element of it to get the weight out, get it down, keep it, keep it as low as possible and package it tightly. So it's got the same footprint as a Porsche Boxster, but it crams in three people, a V12 engine, rear-wheel drive chassis, manual gearbox, and proper luggage space. So it's got these two lockers on either side, a locker on either side, actually just in alongside the engine bay, mm. and three people sit in front of it. And we know, Jack, from having been passengers in it, that it's just about okay if yeah. you're our size. If you're bigger than us, then it's going to be... It's yeah, a Rose little legs bit might be a bit concertinaed up, but... Yeah. yeah. I can pretzel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and also, you when you're in a T50, you're like, I'm prepared to make small sacrifices here for, for you know, mm. the experience I'm about to, to get. But Gordon sort mm. of bills it, doesn't he, as the world's final analogue supercar. Because he, he is not interested in hybrid or anything else like that at the moment. He just wants this to be a, a sort of line in the stand, a final statement on what internal combustion supercars are all about. So it's got this amazing Cosworth V12. It's the the Aston Martin one is a six and a half liter engine. Gordon insists this is the next generation on. It's only a four only a four liter V twelve, but it, it reps to twelve over twelve thousand RPM and develops six hundred and sixty horsepower. So in the grand scheme of things, that's not a huge amount of power. You know, a McLaren Artura is more powerful than this three million quid hypercar. But a McLaren Artura weighs 1,600, It's 14, 1,500 at least. Yeah, so it's okay. at least half a ton heavier than okay. this. So, and it's a very different sort of type of car. This thing is, the, the focus in every element on it is about the driving. Mm-hmm. It's just about giving you the purest possible experience of driving. And I always think those, um, when you were describing it there with the packaging, with the, with the luggage pods, he, he loves his hi-fi, Gordon, doesn't he? Mm. So the, the hi-fi system is really important. So, yeah. But these are all things that make it more usable for, for a longer drive. And that is complete. If you talk about, if you talk to him about the Valkyrie, people will, will naturally compare this car to the MG1 and the Valkyrie because they sort of exist in the same kind of price bracket but it's you know he would he would just shake his head and go completely different i'm trying to create a visceral driving experience that you can actually use and that's that's where he kind of separates off from from everyone which is super interesting because not a single stat or fact is you know around performance has been pr'd around it where everything nowadays comes from the nurburgring lap time you know, mm. f- first and foremost, before you even yeah. get to the car, yeah, this it, is complete—the complete opposite. It's basically yeah. weight, the the the, the red lines, the revs, and the and the power and torque, yeah, yeah. and sort of, and then it's like, but it's all done nonchalantly. It's not like <laughs> yeah, yeah. we're here to do this and prove no, no. a point. It's and just the, just happens by proxy. Yeah, and mm. they only know the top speed, which is two hundred and twenty-six miles an hour, because you did it. They had to do it because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. only did it in an underground car park. tunnel. Um, <laughs> You, yeah, because they had to do it for the ESP calibration. And that's with the shorter sixth gear in it, because you've got a choice of two sixth gears. You can have a longer cruising one or a shorter sprinty one. What would um, you go for? The longer one. Yeah? Yeah, every yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it just gives the car a bit more of a sort of personality, you know, a different dimension to it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think. And there's one thing you haven't mentioned as well. It's got a massive, great fan on the back. Oh, it has. got a fan <laughs> on the back. Yeah, yeah. So what does that do? Well, it sucks. It can do several things. It can, it's got a streamliner function where it can sort of take air from the engine bay, blow it out the back to create like a virtual long tail effect to reduce drag. And they get, it's got some little winglets that move sort of in, in sort of cohesion with that. 
Um, it's I suppose the figures that more people are interested in is in fact it also it can pull air from underneath the car, so from the sort of um, in the vents underneath it, pull it up and send it out the back. So it creates downforce. So I think it creates. 220 kilos of downforce at about 150 miles an hour by just spinning the fan and sending a lot of air at 7,000 RPM the fan spins yeah. at. I, think, I should say very different to something like the McMurtry which is literally, that has skirts and yeah, fans yeah. under the car and that is literally suckering is it onto the road. The this yeah. is just um, well it's giving aero, aero options yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you high downforce mode, streamline Well mode. the comparison is, is like this is a bit more of one of those USB cooling fans in the summer, and it's mm. whereas the other ones are full Dyson Airblade or whatever they're called, I, and you're getting bogs and service yeah. stations. Well, the Mercury one spins to 23,000 RPM. I think yeah. I, I remember you, it was in your tech mm. tech spec spread in, in the feature. Um, if someone can locate it, it spins to 7,000. 7,000, sure yeah. exactly. Yeah. Perfect analogy, mm. lovely. Yeah, lovely. And it has been tuned and filtered and all the rest of it. So unlike the McMurtry, which basically hoovers the road as it <laughs> yeah. goes along, this will not pebble dash every car behind, behind. Yeah, yeah. with whatever it's sucking mm. up. And and I think, let's just put this, um, and put the car into context. Of course, any car with the spec that you just spoke about is exciting. Mm. But why is this one more exciting than most? It's it's the it's the McLaren F1. It's the, it's the it's the link. It's the link back to the McLaren yeah. F1 because yeah. it does copy so much of the sort of packaging and ideas from that and just move it forward a generation. Mm. But without do you know without but there's no hybrid on it. There's nothing else. So it's still in a way it's quite it feels quite an old-fashioned car. Because there's, he's not made any noises. You know, nearly every other car company will say, oh, we've, there's a mild hybrid on this, there's this and this. But there's not on this. They, it has got a couple of very clever things. Like, they worked out that the V12 in startup, to get it through emissions and things, the startup cycle of it is, vi- is very dirty of a big engine like mm. that. And a 12-volt starter motor was not going to be powerful enough to do it. So they've had to design their own starter generator system a 48 volt system so when you press start button you get this frantic whirring which everyone assumes is the engine started and gone and going but it's not would you like to do an impression of that frantic whirring (laughs) 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 lovely (laughs) that is useful three million quid so it does like that about four for about three or four seconds it does that and then it just then there's a bang and it makes everyone jump. It's impossible not to jump, <laughs> isn't it? It is impossible because it's so fast. And by the time you, by the time you're still in the air, it's actually settled back to its idle point because it's bang. just a bang. And it's and it's it's really in- interesting. It's just an interesting way of doing it. But they've cleaned up the start procedure for that. So there's all these the depth of the engineering in it when yeah. you start unpicking it. Just goes on out, and on. Because uh, so in the magazine, there's a the, there's a spread where. Um, uh, Basically, Ollie, I'm sure you'll come to this. Mm. Wanted to you wanted to write the story without numbers to make mm. it experiential because that yeah. is what the car's about. Yeah. But you know, we wanted to get across the the, the, the sort of the juicy tech details as well. So we mm. pull them all together on a spread and mm. just sort of pre- present them. Um, what, what is there any sort of favourites that you can pick out from there? Um, I, 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 what I really like is because I I'm sure if you're familiar with the car, you'll know this thing about how fast it gains and re- loses revs. Right, so they said that I think it was the F1 can rev. I can't remember what it was. It's about eight or nine thousand revs per second. It can gain mm. at top, but it was beaten by the Lexus LFA, mm. which could do. Was it from 
um, idle to 9,000, whatever it was, in 0.6 of a second. Mm. Famously needed a digital needle. Well, because this is my question. A, a yeah. No, they found a way of making this mechanical <laughs> oh, yeah. and still do it. But the original figure that they'd quoted was that this could gain, I think that if the Lexus is like a 9,000 or 10, 11,000 revs a second, this could gain 28,000 revs a second. It was, it was so responsive. It's got no flywheel on it, so it was ridiculous. So I thought I so I was talking to them about this when we when we got out there to drive the car, and they went, "Oh no, that that figure's slightly outdated now." No, it actually gains fifty two thousand revs a second. It's what? so fast in your face, it's, LFA. That's gonna be the world's <laughs> fastest needle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the way I mean, it does. We'll come on to this, I expect, a bit later. But it does mean that your gear changing has got to be on point, not just for downshifts but for upshifts because. If you're slow with it, the revs have died to nothing. <laughs> it's got so round you, the clock uh, three times. Because there's no flywheel effect, so you just it just Hang whams on. down. Heel and toe on upshift. No. So he, well, you, knew, you almost basically <laughs> need to blip cross and blip on upshifts. On upshifts, wow. Well, well I but remember actually when... Actually, you, you modified technique, but it's, that's what makes it fascinating. <laughs> No, but I remember in your uh, your passenger ride in the video mm. there where Dario Franchitti was driving, you know, multiple IndyCar champ, mm. and he not was struggling with the gear changes, but was nervous at mm. the same time, which adds a whole different element. But as you say, if you have to get it right, You've it's not a car get... for a learner then. No, no, no. It's <laughs> I'm particularly because everyone within 10 miles can hear you as well. I mean, that was on the day that Dario <laughs> yes. was driving. He was like, I know Gordon's listening. So if <laughs> yeah, I yeah. fluff one, he'll be on to me later. <laughs> he'll be summoned to the headmaster's office <laughs> yeah. as well. <laughs> I think you did mess up fourth or fifth. Yeah, yeah. Gets hit with a carbon fibre cane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lightweight. So, Ollie, we should probably outline where you drove this because just yeah. because Gordon Murray is based, you know, down near the Top Gear mm. Test Track and in, you know, Surrey Way, um, yeah. luckily you were allowed to go further than Guildford. We were, <laughs> and this was not a, you know, a ten-minute experience or anything else. I had the car for four and a half days, four and a half days with this car to do what we wanted with. So what we did is. Um, they, they, one stipulation is they wanted to start from a, one of their service centres. So they're setting up these sort of specialist service centres around the world. So we went to Barcelona. Fit, you know, exactly, yeah, yeah. Sort of Tires RS, Gordon Murray Automotive. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every out, outskirts of every local town will have one. So they're genuinely <laughs> going to have a dealer network for these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so they've impressive. got a dealership in and a service centre in Barcelona. Lovely. So we started there, a place called Chelsea 1979. Um, and we drove it... We, Basically did the length of the Pyrenees in it. So went up and down the Pyrenees, sort of Andorra, France, Spain, and all the way along and ended up in Bilbao. So How many miles later? Nearly a thousand. So you've ninety-three or something. A thousand miles in a T fifty. Yeah. In yeah. four days. How many owners in, are going to do that? Exactly. And uh, barely any of them on a motorway. I think we did we actually did maybe a couple of hundred on a motorway of maybe but nearly everything was on Twitter. God knows how many corners it's been around. There's a lot of corners in the Pyrenees. <laughs> um Mega. Okay, Proper so let's, verdict, then, this. This yeah. let's take this. Let's sort of ta- do this as a sort of vague mm. timeline, so we can yeah. get, stay on top of it. So you're in Barcelona. Um, mm. You're handed over the car, and mm-hmm. you've already been to there. Did I you went go to down do for a seat, seat fitting? fitting? Yeah, yeah. I went down to Gordon Murray HQ for a seat fitting, um, uh, which was. I mean, it's very simple. They, as Ollie said earlier. Basically, pedals and steering wheel move with spanners. The pedals have got, like, three positions they can do. And in the furthest away one, there's some fascinating fact about 
because because Gordon's very tall. The pedals, the pedals, the furthest the pedals pushed down is only it's like a ten mil back from the bulkhead, and literally the other side of the bulkhead is the steering rack. So the packaging tightness between where you push the pedals down and where the steering rack is is tiny, tiny. Mm. So, it, but it's very clever, and I'm obviously about a foot shorter than yeah. Gordon. So you, so on, I had no issues at all. Kindergarten, uh, uh, yeah, exactly, yeah. 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 So, so it, but it's not a seat fit like you need to go down and sit in some jelly, and then they make no, a seat for you. No, they don't do that at the moment. Oh, not at the moment. Uh, they don't do that. They've got uh, so it's pedals and steering wheel. They sort of move for you. The seats on right on a slider. So, but then there's different mouldings of the seats. So it's like a base a seat base and a seat back that just Velcro in, and you've got different shapes of those and different thick. Um, Pad, uh, padding softnesses. So, um, so is it sort of like skinny, um, sort of mid-life, mid-life spread? <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, you need to go on a diet, mate. And yeah, yeah. Go and it depends the on the shakes of the mechanics' heads when they're sitting you in it. <laughs> and it just went to the filing cabinet and went to the drawer of cycling enthusiasts. And we're like, <laughs> oh, like cushions oh. from Mr. Marriage. <laughs> but also, just to get on to the point, because for people, if you don't know, it is. Um, central seating mm. position. Yeah, yeah. Is it easy to get in and out of? Is it's it weird? Much e- yeah, it's much easier than the F1 was because the F1 had, one had spars either side of the central seating position. This one, they've kept the floor open. You sort of get in from the, what we would call the wrong side, from the left-hand door. Um, and then there's an open floor all the way across. But you sort of have to sit on the sill, flick your feet in, and then sort of you take your weight on your hands and sort of... I describe it as being a bit like getting on a pommel horse or something. If you, gym, it's gymnastics. God, you done that were eight. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You have to sort of shuffle yourself across. Your feet scuttle across the floor, but you sort of have to leave your, so your weight across the centre seat. And that's in from the left because the gear leaves the on gear the right. the gear leaves on the right, on a spar on the right. Um, and then once you're in, actually, it just feels so natural so quickly. Just the, the symmetry of it is fabulous. You just look ahead and you've got these beautiful central rev counter, which is a work of art in itself. And then you've got these, there's a screen either side of it, but nothing's touchscreen at all because Gordon hates that, won't have it. He won't have a cup holder in the car either. Um uh, Does, and doesn't drink, does it? Yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. just motor oil but occasionally. Then, yeah. <laughs> so then you've got these beautiful touch gear um, of tactile rotary controls, sort of flanking the the centre layout, and then a pad down by your sort of right thigh for the gear lever start button and the the click wheel for doing the for doing the. Is there somewhere to put your phone? Which is why, which yeah. is why actually, if you're the uh, if you're ever going to be a passenger in a T50, um, and you've got a choice of left or right seat. Go left because you've got a little bit more legroom. The one on the right has sort of intrusion from yeah. From you've, the, got, you've got your driver's the elbow comes back. No, you but oh, you sit yeah. on the right and you get to see exactly. all the gear changes yeah, going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, there we go. That. Statos on swings again. and roundabouts, <laughs> isn't it? You know, I'll yeah. sit on the right. <laughs> but you, but no, they've got um, really close. So in the each sort of front wheel arch above where the passenger's feet would be is a little cubby's holes just to hold closed magnetically. But each one's got two USB slots in it. And is big enough to take wallet, phone, and in my case, sun cream, cap, everything else I needed while we were while we were out and about. Jam and then under the seat, under the passenger seats, <laughs> <laughs> there's another couple of bigger cut, bigger lockers as well. So you've actually got decent storage, way better than you have in any other supercar and hypercar I can yeah. think of. So, so you've you've got in, you're in Barcelona. Yeah. First right. thing you have to do is deal with Barcelona, Barcelona traffic. traffic. Well, hang on, yeah. before that, so you're. Flapping about, I mean, in a very organised way, um, because you need to get on the road, and we need to start taking pictures and yeah, and, yeah. and and video. Um, phone rings. Oh yeah, yeah. I got a phone call from Un- Gordon before I left. 
<laughs> unknown number. Oh, probably a delivery driver trying yeah. to drop something off in my house. No, this time it was good. It was Gordon phoning up just just to wish me luck, Aww. which was really nice. And then very surreally, over the next few days, I was sending him pictures and stuff backwards and forwards <laughs> of what was, of um, flames coming out of the exhaust. Oh, right. uh, um, other not your lunch. Stuff that we done. Yeah, checking <laughs> yeah. he's had a salad. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you'd better just... not have a steak tartare marriage, and I wasn't taking the car off you. <laughs> I thought he'd just be tracking you from a chopper the whole way, just sort of yeah. going fluff that third to fourth. Ollie, <laughs> I can hear it from up here. Oh, this is so good. Well, we did have a couple of guys from Gordon Murray with us. Had a couple of mechanics, and the chief engineer and development engineer were along with us just in case anything well, happened. It's probably but quite nice having the chief engineer there for to oh, answer. Any Everything. question at all, all time. Because this was a prototype car it's in PS4. so much as, So it's sort of customer it's, level finished, but it, you, didn't, yeah. you weren't driving an actual customer's car no. that's no, someone had lent to you. No, this is the very last product, uh, prototype car before they build the production cars. Right. So it is the one that comes down the line, comes down, down the line, gets built in its bay, um, to exact production standards. What happens to it? Is it, is it Gordon's car? Does it, is it, it? It is being sold off. I think there's been so okay. much demand for the cars that I think these PS cars are being mm. going quickly, out to customers. Because people like them. Talk us through the spec of it, just so people know colours, because uh, we're in blue. audio world here. It's a blue car. <laughs> it's a well blue done. Car. Oh, that's all we need it's to on know. Silver wheels, though. <laughs> yeah. On Hurrah. silver wheels. Yeah, yes. yeah. It's mega on silver yeah. wheels. Yeah, yeah. Wait, Mr. McLaren F1 nerd in the corner over there. What isn't this a related spec to the same? Real Top Gear yeah. nerds will know that when Tiffany Dale did the original Tele power test um, back in the nineties of the McLaren F1, skidding it around the Goodwood Motor Circuit, it was a royal blue car on silver wheels. I think it was XP4. And I think that's the spec that they've mirrored very kindly for Top Gear for this exclusive drive, yeah. Um, which is, yeah, a really nice touch. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it was a lovely looking car, actually. And as you're right, silver wheels, which is just look, it just gives it sort of a bit of a, makes it look a bit lighter mm. than putting dark wheels on it, I think. Yeah. So, no, it looked, ter- it did look terrific. But it's the amount of glass in it and around it and over it. You can have, so there's glass panels over the, in the roof and you can actually save I think it's four and a half kilos by having those carbon fibre. But I just wouldn't. I'd, I'd, I'd allow Gordon's engineering to do what is done brilliantly and I'd keep those glass fact, because I'm, it makes I'm, it feel so nice and light. I remember inside. Gordon saying that even he went for the, on his, his T50 that he's keeping yeah. for himself, he went for the glass panel, mm. which you think, but, but, but Gordon, four and a half kilos is like, nah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. nah, nah. Yeah, you yeah. know, he's prepared to make, mm. uh, you know, sacrifices. Yeah. Same with the gear, when it improves the, gear, the experience. Yeah. You, know, yeah. you know the story about the gear knob? Mm. Go on, take it away. Well, they, <laughs> they, the car could be lighter. <sighs> Shock horror. They made a decision on the gear lever. So they tested different gear lever weights because obviously that affects the throw of how it moves through the gate. So they tested different gear lever weights, and the one they went with is not the lightest. I think it was the second lightest or something. <laughs> gives a, gives a well, it's like a bottle of wine in the restaurant. The second, the second one from bottom is always the best one. So that's good. So, no, second one from bottom. I always go to the second one from the top. Oh, well, it that, depends where the price. Yeah, the price yeah. is to be fair. No, that's because you do, you know you don't want to go for house because you're a bit cheap. But you go for the second one down. Apparently, that's the wine they're just trying to get rid of because everyone goes two down. No, but Go when it comes down. to gearboxes, I assume yeah, you don't want it too light, otherwise it would feel a bit weird, just like yeah. waving so a wooden spoon the thing, around. The first yeah. thing you, you notice about it is it's quite heavy to operate. The, I mean, the clutch is unsurprisingly got a bit of weight in it. The steering is unassisted. It's got um, They do actually clutch a bit of um, power assistance in uh, below 10 miles an hour at low speed. They clutch a bit of assistance in just so you're not really heaving it when you're trying to park and stuff. But above that, you're then on your own. So it's it's a reasonably heavy car to operate, which 
I, in my head, initially, I was thinking, I'm not... I expected it to be lighter, because you think it's a light car, it'd be light Alpine to operate. Alpine A110, sort yeah. of. Yeah, but sort of course, because it's unassisted, it's not like that. You, there is some weight in the gear chains, there's weight in the pedals, and there's, there's weight in the throttle as well, which is nice, though, because it, no matter how far you, fast you come off it, as well as on it, it follows the pattern of your foot really, really nicely, mm-hmm. just sort of moving it in and out. But you want so that weight because it adds connection. Exactly. Mm. So the connection and satisfaction to everything is there immediately. So you you feel so connected to it straight away, even when you've just pulled it out of a garage very nervously and <laughs> gone for your first ever gear change in a T50. It's a really connected U-turn. <laughs> yeah, in a busy cobbled street yeah. and yeah. how much attention are you getting as you set off into central Barcelona do people because it's a mid-engine supercar mm. so it's always going to turn some heads but are people kind of looking curiously going what's that or were people aware no. that this was a, a goat no curiously and that was pretty much it the whole way through it's because it hasn't got a famous badge on the nose or the back when we stopped like we, we took it into Pamplona at midnight um to go and do some shots into a pedestrianised area, which did end up with a phone conversation, with a conversation with the police. The balls are coming, move! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But the um, uh, people didn't know what it was because they didn't recognise the badge on the bonnet. Huh. So they'd come up and say, oh, what is, what is this? I don't recognise the badge. You know, they'd know a Ferrari, they'd know a Lamborghini, they'd recognise the script and everything else. And then, then you're into that having to describe what it is. You say, well, do you remember the McLaren F1? This is sort of this. The guy who designed that has done this. So, and some people got it and some people didn't. The people who knew exactly what it was went completely giddy. I mean, completely giddy. It was like, oh, <laughs> right. And of course, there, there was an element of this car must have appeared on social media, some one or one or two places. I think in Pamplona it did. And people had figured out what was going on and there was a little bit of... People arriving just as we were leaving oh, word places, got out. word would get out. <laughs> this has just turned up in Pamplona Central Square. Gordon and, was just um, busy leaking it on the ground. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but no, to so we started off driving it through Barcelona and just getting out of town, really. But I wanted to do speed bumps and that sort of thing just to get used to it. But before you have to sort of get into the mountains of the Pyrenees, I just wanted to get a feel for what it was like around town, just moving it. And it is, yeah, it's it's quite heavy. It's quite mechanical. It's the what impressed me though is the first speed bump we came to was a whopper, an absolute <laughs> whopper. You know, one of those with a real sharp edges mm-hmm. and a high top. And I was like, "Well, you oh, fall no. off it more than anything yeah, else." Exactly. Yeah. I thought, "Oh, I'm going to be scraping it straight away," and it didn't. It didn't. It just went straight over it. And, and no nose lift, of no course. No nose lift because that adds weight. weight yeah. So none, none of that. It just went straight over it. So the clearances and the sort of approach and departure angles, which is something you normally talk about with off roaders. Mm are really impressive. So just to manoeuvre it around, yeah, you, you're working with a manual gearbox and that manual gearbox prefers to be being used hard. It doesn't like it when it's just cruising mm. around town. Mm. The throttle so, is very sensitive. Although it's heavily sprung, it's quite sensitive. So to get it away smoothly, I worked out, you just lift the clutch, mm. lift the clutch and let it get engage and then have the th- go for a bit of throttle. Because if you do that thing of giving it a bit of throttle and you give it a fraction too much and then you back off and then the clutch comes up and it all gets a bit jiggly yeah, yeah. it doesn't like that much yeah. it just well you feel a bloody amateur driving it yeah but if you just let the clutch up to bite and then go so it's not so much could, a snatchy clutch it's a it's a yeah. hyper alert throttle it's pedal. just a hyper yeah. alert mm. throttle and yeah it's no it's not a snatchy clutch at all it's actually quite friendly to use but mm. you just want to get the car rolling before you get nice. on the throttle too hard so we get in the picture that you've got to be quite accurate with it and quite yeah. deliberate with your actions mm. and that so you know it, that obviously takes a while to bed into so mm. how long were you behind the wheel before you thought I'm going to try some revs. 
Uh, <laughs> Uh, not that long. <laughs> Have you heard of the Ramblers? Yeah. <laughs> no, we 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 sort of cruised up around uh, Montjuic Park, where they, which is a love, really lovely area. Came back down, and then we just got we headed out of town. Mm. And th- weirdly, that was the first time I'd on the approach to a toll booth. First time I'd I'd remembered oh, I'm sitting in the middle of the car. Oh. Yeah. Luckily, I had a toll tag in one of my little lockers, so I could go, so I did go straight through. But there's that nervousness of suddenly you go, oh my god, if this doesn't work, I've got to, got to get my hand out through that window or open the door and feel a bit of a bit of a burk. Yeah. But actually, no, it was fine. That is one, and that is one of the, th- the the very few times I think you might find a a central driving position a hassle. Mm. But is 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 that sort of thing? But the rest of the time, provided you're limber enough to get in and out. I absolutely adored it because mm. just sitting centrally, the symmetry of everything, the fact you just sit square in the road and you've th- therefore every corner you come to is you're equidistant either side and the car's not wide. You know, mm. it's only 1850 mil wide mm. when most supercars we know are two metres and over yeah. now. Yep. So it meant that width restrictors, absolutely fine. Yep. No worries <laughs> at all. You get, and all that sort of thing where you normally have complete panic. Cameras for wing mirrors. Cameras not going to knock mirrors. those. They off. work. Yeah. They're really annoying. And, and Audi can't get those right. No, they're Audi can't. They don't get the position right, do they? Here, they're in the right place. They're mentally where you're when you look sideways, where you think they should be. I mean, there's still a there's still a compromise because you can't move your head and change the view. Mm. So your view down the flanks are a bit they're a bit limited, and obviously there's, there is no rear visibility at all. Mm. So you have to depend on that. But they have got a little cheat, which is the right-hand screen. When you're going along, you can turn on the rear camera. The rear camera is, is mounted smack in the centre of the fan. Mm-hmm. So you can have it. Obviously, it's designed for reversing. So it's it's very wide angle and stuff looks miles away and isn't. But you can turn that on as well. So you've got a view out the back. And that's quite useful. Yeah. The only thing is you've got to sh- choose whether you want that or whether you want your, Nav- your Apple CarPlay or Android Auto connected. Mm. And, and are, the, are the wing mirrors an aero decision? Because no, they were they were mainly a position decision okay. based on the fact that where they they'd have either had because of where the driver was sat and where the A pillars were, they would either have to sit really far back or pretty much right out on top of the front wheels mm. or beyond, like down by the headlights or something. Yeah. So no, they were a they were a, a decision for yeah slightly for aero, but mainly I think for. And I want I was thinking about weight because you've got two screens, you've got two cameras, you've yeah. got wires. It's probably not I didn't that, ask that. the questions, but. Given the fact, every time I ask Chief Engineer Nick Hoyle a question, the first thing he would say is the weight before he'd answer the question. Yeah. It, it, there seems to be something in in um, in with Gordon Murray's guys about you know you ask them a question and, you, and they'll go. The interesting thing is fourteen grams right now. Let me just put you through that, or three hundred and fifty grams, or yeah. Um, so yeah, we thought. I thought, for instance, in the engine bay, I thought I had found. Uh, a place where the um, thread on a screw was much longer than it needed to be. Mm. Um, and I was told that, no, that's not, no. Ah. So I pulled it out and went, I think that, couldn't that thread have been a bit shorter? No, because in actual, for, to mount the housing around that, it would have had to have been, it had to be that long to just engage the housing and then you screw it on. Damn, you thought you'd, so uh, I thought, thought, you'd uh, I thought beating them. The gear lever was the only, slightly heavier gear lever was the only one. So we've done city driving, it's city good driving. on a cruise. Where, it was all right on a cruise. It's, you're always aware of noise and vibration in it. The engine doesn't shut up completely, but I tested this out. I could have phone calls in it. I could listen to the stereo in it. It's got a 700 watt Arcam stereo in it. 
Um, the noise is all a bit from the front because it's where the speaker position is, but it's got this 10 speaker RCAM 700 watt stereo that only weighs four kilos because it came in under 4.3 kilos. I think, I think, came in under I think that's less than the first iPod, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, no, you it doesn't, it's not overwhelming, but it's but there's all you're always it feels it's not one of those dainty lightweight cars you know it has some there's there's some physicality to it so you're always aware of it it feels very much a sports supercar a sports car if you like a sporting car to drive than it does a cruiser but it will do distance fine you know you stick it in sick the revs die away to like two and a half thousand and you're and you're away with three people in could you do yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you'd have no issue it's the again there's a bit of a sort of size thing with passengers, but um, no, you'd very happily do distance. I I could quite happily have just pointed at Calais and and gone. Which you got there be... on a tank? How much fuels it use? Not much actually. On a cruise, about twenty five. It was doing twenty five to the gallon. That's amazing which for a V twelve. Was amazing actually. There you go, lightweight yeah, cars. Lightweight. So what's good that? Aero. What, what's that range? Motorway range. So four, I worked out you would do four hundred mile over four hundred miles oh, on a tank yeah. if you're cruising. And the, what was more, I was even more impressed about, after we'd driven it, I think overall economy worked out still over 20 to the gallon, which given that was five or 600 miles of twisty mountain roads is yeah. remarkable. Uh, Speaking yeah. of twisty mountain yeah, roads. Yeah, we're right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get that in we just? I think we need to get to the engine mm. and because uh, there was something in the story where you talk mm. about 12,000 RPM is the, that's the headline, right? Yeah. That's the one that we're all mm. talking about. But really on the road... You know, how often are you going to hit 12,000 mm. RPM? Um, well, you, you you tell me, yeah. but actually, what does it do? It's not like every single gear, you ring out to 12,000 hours no. second gear. Yeah. You know, <laughs> no. So 12,000 RPM must be a, a pretty rare It is. Moment. It is. This is the thing with it, right? Everyone says, yeah, you're right. The headline is 12,000 RPM. You'll use it once or twice a day if you're lucky. Not because <laughs> you, you're, you're just being a chicken and can't get there. It's because... At the top end, that engine is so frantic, it is so visceral, that it takes nerve to hold the pedal down. Mm. It's not a matter of just the speed gain, it's the crescendo of noise and response and everything else that it gives you. It's so exciting. So you're there, so you don't, you tend to use six to nine thousand and then beyond nine thousand if it's if the straight's longer but you're looking at everything you're looking is there a car coming what's the surface like you know it bombards you with so much information that you have to the processing ability you need to put in just to use twelve thousand rpm takes quite a lot so you're there going right no it's clear it's clear right go go and it's so when you do it's just like oh my god God, it sounds incredible. And luckily, we had loads of tunnels to play with as well. <laughs> oh, man. Which was, and it sounds incredible. So every tunnel we got to, the windows would go down. You'd see the um, the support cars, like the video videographer's car and and the guys with Gordon Murray in their van, slowing down windows down. And then you'd sort yeah. of go pull up alongside, all good. But the, in the difference is, with, when, with most cars, when you accelerate, away from someone, you know, there's that sex, there's that momentary build, isn't there, for turbocharged cars mm. where they come on cam and go, this thing, the second you press the throttle, you're gone. Mm. You're absolutely gone. It just goes. So the noise is absolutely instant. You mm. just switch it on and, you, and you're gone. And the, the acceleration is just, it just punches you. Yeah. So it's, uh, it is the most amazing engine to use. I'm absolutely incredible. I'm a, so when you rev to 9,000, is that still... Yeah, it sounds fantastic. Yeah, and the response exciting. and everything else. Yeah. But it's re- I really liked it at four to 5,000. Mm. Um, 
Nick, the chief engineer, was telling me that they'd made the carbon on the intake, engine air intake, slightly thinner. Which is above your head. Which is above your head. So it would vibrate with the air pulses going into the engine. Mm. And that, that air pulsing gives you that sort of very characteristic induction noise. So you've got this slight wobble in there, like a speaker. They've turned the carbon fibre into a speaker over your head. Mm. So you get this amazing noise. So four to five thousand feels are epic as well. And so there's a there's a moment at four to five where it's something's wobbling well, yeah, all in a in certain that area. Way. Yeah. yeah. So you get yeah. this. The, so the whole use of it. And I described fifth. Fifth does everything. So the engine is so tractable. This is it. You. I was driving up around tight hairpins in thinking I was in second occasionally because the gate's really narrow on the gilly, but being in fourth, and. No problems at all. You go around hairpins in fourth. You go fifth gear. You could go fifth gear would take you all the way through a town over speed bumps and everything. Mm-hmm. So we decided the fifth gear was the speed bump to 180 mile an hour gear because <laughs> apparently that is what it's. That was one of Gordon's stipulations for the car. Yeah. Fifth gear had to do 180 miles an hour. Yeah. Wow. So you've got this. Yeah. So they've got the the tractability of that engine. It's not all about 12,000. What it does at 1,500, 2,000 is just as remarkable. I, I think, think you described it in the in the story as screams like a 90s F1 car yeah, or does. something like that. Through a tunnel, you just feel like you're going through the Monaco Grand Prix every time. <laughs> when, you're on, Amazing. when you're on a twisty mountain road, does it kind of will you on to drive it hard? How does yeah, it like yeah. to be driven? Yeah, So it's it... quite firmly suspended. That's the first thing I noticed. And you notice it on the, ro- on the road. You know, there's a lot, there's feedback through the suspension. And I think quite a bit stiffer than I expected it to be. Um, but once you get up there, it's... It, through hairpins, because of the steering weight and everything you're dealing with, it's not a car that's going to be, you know, you're, there's quite physical. You have, you've got to actually really steer it, and it weights up. And after a day up in the high mountains, I like my triceps and shoulders got quite, well, you know, felt really felt it. But third and fourth gear sweepers, and to be fair, all the time, the amount of information it gives you and the satisfaction of just operating the car, and then just how cleanly it goes through corners... It's, it's, I think what it, what it, how it is different from every other sports car, I think modern sports car now, is they all do a lot electrically and they take a lot of those inputs away from you. They run it through an electronic filtering and then it goes to the car, you know, to the wheels and Mm. things. So whether it's engine response or traction and stability control. And this doesn't do that. It puts, there's zero filtering going on. So everything the car's doing, you feel and you're responsible for. So that's partially why you, it's difficult to use full throttle. And it's also why you just got through corners. You just steer it and it's just this most blissful feeling because you sit centrally, because you're driving through gorgeous countryside, because the 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 steering feedback the how the chassis feels underneath you the fact through through hairpins yeah you do get a little bit of understeer but once you're up and cruising or up and you know driving through on mountain roads it's it's so settled just it's so clean through corners so even on rough surfaces and we found quite a few of them that's when it's the magic of the lightweight really shows itself because where others would sort of stomp and feel heavy and being a bit thrown around yes this suffers from a bit of it because it's light it gets a bit of buffeting from the road but it just glides over a lot of the rubbish it just sort of glows Mm -hmm. over so you've got this very accurate car that's just gliding over surfaces that you should be testing it more than they are and yet you just feels wonderful in your hands absolutely sublime wow and yeah. and uh, obviously it's not adaptive dampers or ac- active no, dampers or anything. Completely passive. So it's got. To, that's why you, you know at low speeds it, it does feel a bit stiff. But the magic happens 
as as the speed builds yeah. you know and there, there has to be some sort of compromise there and um i always like cars that just have passive it's dampers a, because it's yeah. like they have to pick a pick a setting and stick Do to it properly yeah so that's yeah that is exactly it it's it's got a very clear idea of the car it's trying to be and that's what it does. Yep. And it's designed to be this sort of ultimate road trip driver's sp- sports car supercar. Things you don't like. I didn't get on with the seat. Ah. Which might be a matter of padding and stuff and everything else. But two hour, up to two hours, absolutely fine. But after that, I found the where the lumbar support is on it, I found it uncomfortable. It's too high up my back. Um, oh, there was something else as well, which is we made a mistake earlier. There is something else which is heavier than it needs to be, isn't there? The key? The key, I think, is bigger than it. It's quite light for what size, but it looks quite big and chunky. It just looks hefty. It just looks it? hefty. It looks like it's the key to like a Hennessy truck, mm. not yeah, a yeah. lightweight not a hypercar. Little svelte supercar. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed with what you said about the seat because it looks so gorgeous. There's this, this is, shot, or well, several yeah. shots actually, where you've got both doors open. You're looking through the car, and because mm. the seat is sort of um, forward of the of the two passenger seats, you mm. get this beautiful silhouette of this kind of shell mm. seat in the middle so of the I cabin. So I think that, and that is exactly it. And I think they've done that because for aesthetic reasons, when you open both doors and look through, that upright sliver of seat looks beautiful. Yeah, it just, yeah. it's so such clarity to it of what it's trying to achieve. But actually, the seat I think is quite curved in the back and the lower back, yeah. and then very upright in the headrest. And it might just be, you know, it might be a personal thing for me mm-hmm. that I, do, it, I just after a couple of hours I just found it slightly uncut. Do you remember when we did that uh, hardcore supercars test on Hard Not Pass? Yeah, yeah. And you brought along a cushion from home. Yes. Maybe you just needed one of those. <laughs> yes. That'd add weight. That, that would add weight. Yeah. But also, before we try and wrap up, see where it stands in the great mm. pantheon of hypercars. I can't help but notice a, a photograph of it shooting a massive amount of flames <laughs> out the back of it, which yeah. hasn't been seen before. No. So I can't imagine that being a mode that Gordon approved. No, they didn't. They did no, well, no, he did. He loved it. He loved it. But they didn't <laughs> Extra know. Extra fan mode. Fan shot, the flames. It shot yeah. flames. But, of course, you work with photographers and videographers. They go, Do it, does it shoot flames? Can we make it shoot flames? <laughs> so you... So you go well. I don't, I don't know. We should have. We should have a go, though, shouldn't we? So yeah, when you got the engine nice and hot, and just revved it, it would shoot proper flames out the back. But that very that hot flame, not the wasteful licks of flame. No, you've just got very hot gases coming straight out of the exhaust. And um, did you get it on up. video? Yes. Yeah, it's excellent. So we I can all look so. at that. There's yeah, a few yeah. shots of it. Yeah, it's proper. Mm. Bright yellow fireballs coming out yeah, the back. Yeah. Not often, you know, you get that kind of cone, that kind of blue cone mm. flame. Now this is no, this, this is, is free chicken. Yeah. 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 Some of these but, shots, I can only imagine that Mark Ricchioni, he said the picture's got very singed eyebrows now. Yeah. <laughs> this is a fireball heading we out did, the back of this car. For the video, this is quite funny. I wanted to give a demonstration of how the fan worked and how much because you could. You've, it's got an aero test mode you can Ooh. engage on it, where as long as no one's standing near it at the back. Um, you can press a button and it, stay, it flaps the little aero flaps. Pre-flight checks. Exactly. <laughs> I think so it's basically car I park show-off mode, isn't what it? What I did was got Mark Riccioni to let, let down his luxuriant hair and parked him about six inches behind the fan <laughs> and put the fans <laughs> on. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah. Because he's worth so, it. Yeah. He, uh, he certainly is. So, yeah, we did we did that. But, yes, it does shoot flames. But, the yeah, the, even when you slow down, actually, when you stop, it, the glowing in the depths of the exhausts is just, like, you look in there and go, wow, it looks fantastic. Wow. And I, I think what I, what I love is at the end of your story, you're mm. like, you have four, four and a half days with this car, mm. which is, you know, 
that is a very generous amount of time for, mm. to, 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 to form your opinions. But there was still more. You, yeah, he's basically angling for more time than the T50. <laughs> oh, surprise, surprise. Um, because but, it's such an indulgent thing to do. But there's because more to learn. You, yeah, you there's were like, always oh, more to yeah, learn. Yeah. And especially with the gearbox and getting the gear change right and that sort of thing. Mm. It, it would just be a lifetime's work. Long-term. Oh, should, should we do the pitch yeah, yeah. now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, you do. You just Everything about operating it is so satisfying, you know, to literally the clicks of the fan for the air con to mm. everything. Like I loved... You, we, this is something that manufacturers very rarely test for, but for photography, we do spend a lot of time driving around the corner, turning around, driving back the other way, turning around. And so you just do this stop-start all the time, which means you've got to go into reverse, go into first gear on a mountain pass in the Pyrenees, mm -hmm. and you've got to do, it needs a three-point, five-point turn, um, which meant you have to, but it's got a reverse lockout switch on this. And every time you go from reverse to first, you've got to activate the little lockout switch and it's so tactile mm. it's just all the little delicious asmr noises of things of <laughs> just moving things and flipping up the sort of start button cover you sit in there and you just tinker with it and it's just beautiful the to opposite operate. of the lotus amira then when you're trying to turn it around and you're just bashing this knob <laughs> forward and backwards trying to get a gear to be accepted but we'll have to yeah, see yeah. So, uh, one hell of a road trip, one hell of a story that yeah. everyone could read about in the magazine. I think it's over 18 pages. Is 20. It? 20, 20 pages. 20 pages. Yes. I, had, I had space for more words. No, <laughs> I, I th I, we added another, there were too many good pictures. We're like, ah, yeah, have another yeah. spread. Got a world exclusive. Have another Let spread. Yeah. But yeah. anyway, so Q, tee us up. What's the well, big yeah, question? I just started thinking, you know, Ollie, early, he's had quite a year because he's got the world exclusive on the road in the T50. Uh, a few months ago, you were world exclusive on the road in the Aston Martin Valkyrie, Valkyrie another yeah. F1 Supremo's, uh, you know, involvement in a in a road-going car. But you've also done LaFerrari 918 P1, mm. so the previous holy trinity of hypercars, driven Koenigseggs, Pagani's. I, I want to know where is this thing in the lineup and how long do we have to wait before we call it? Is this the greatest supercar of all time? I don't think we have to wait any longer. I think this is the greatest supercar of all time. I really do. It's because I, th I think if some of it can be personal. Mm -hmm. it, it, I love lightweight cars, you know, got an Elise and an old 306 rally. <laughs> they, so that sort of aspect of it really appeals to me. But also because it's focused on driving. And what we really love is driving. And that's what this focuses on to the expense of everything else. So if you look at... Pagani's Koenigseggs and everything else, they have, they're fabulous. They have amazing engineering, but there's a lot of artistic interpretation to them as well. And they're not, they're very rarely... Peacocking. A little bit peacocky, I suppose they are. So, whereas this doesn't have truck with any of that. It is focused just on the driving. Everything is about making it as awesome as it can be to drive. So it doesn't. So you look at some of those other ones and you think, hang on, well, they, they're saying they're super lightweight and everything else, but they're 14, 15, 1600 kilos. This is under a ton. And you look at the intelligence of the packaging. So there's, there is nothing else like it. There is nothing else that does a job remotely similar. I was trying, I was racking my brains for cars that felt similar to drive. But you, you aren't looking in the hypercar area. You're looking in something, something a lot more humble in a way. You're looking at things like Lotus Elise's. Mm. You're looking at stuff that feels similar to drive because mm -hmm. you're not looking for... Yeah. Yeah, that's the sort of the highlights of it. And I love the fact that it's... I, I wrote this. I think it's possibly one of the slowest fast cars I've ever driven because so many sports and hypercars these days cover their speed so well. You look down and you go, 
oh my god, I can't be going that fast because the, it's just effortless speed. There's not this speed is not effortless. You have to work for it, and you know when you've got it mm. because you you hold on to third gear for a while and <laughs> you you feel the tingles all over. But you look down, and you go. Oh, that wasn't as bad as I thought. You know, so it's not that it's slow because it really, really isn't the response of everything to it. But you look down because it's the bombardment you get of this to your senses in every single way. It feels like you should be going so much faster than you actually are. So I love that about it. I love that finally here is a supercar that is that gives you all the response and feel and doesn't have to do a million miles an hour to do that. But yeah. it can if you want to, because if you get that that extra long sixth gear, or, or the shorter yeah. sixth gear, and it does 228 or whatever you said, yeah, yeah. Yeah. you can. Plus it shoots yeah. flames for YouTube, so it's a winner all round. Yeah. But I think <laughs> at, this, at this point, it's probably a good time, you know, that's a big statement. Mm. Is this the greatest supercar of all time? If you're on Spotify, we can use the poll function to see whether you agree with us yeah. or not, and you can let us know what you think is. So yeah, if you yeah. go into the app and open up, there'll be a poll to, to say yes or no, as whether you agree with Ollie Marriage, the only man yeah. who's driven. The car. If no, then what? Yeah. You know, you know. Are you yeah, are yeah. you a, are you a McLaren F1 fanboy yeah. till you die, Ollie oh. Q? Mm. I mean, yeah, it always was. <laughs> but then there'll be people out there saying no, Bugatti because it moved the goalpost so mm. far in terms of power, but mm. also the refinement. And people say yeah. that no, it has to have a beef from Italy and have it's, a prancing horse on I, it. To I completely agree. Th- this car is not for everyone, and I think there will be some people who buy it who will find it harder work than they expected it to be. Mm-hmm. I think there'll be... But at the same time, you know, I came away from this having not only decided it was the the finest car I'd ever driven, and it's, you know, if I have to... You know, that that would be... One, the one, one last tank of fuel yeah, kind of thing. My, I found the road as well. <laughs> so the, the road in the Pyrenees that we found is just... It's 50 miles of just perfection. Shh, don't tell anyone. Yeah, we're not telling everyone it is. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I think, it, I think yeah, it's by in, the magazine. It's I think I might in the have given it away slightly. But also, those roads, that whole area is for driving utterly spectacular. If you want to go somewhere, so that southern side of the Pyrenees, what a place for driving. It's wow. terrific. Wow. It all came together, didn't it? After four years, we had the location, the weather, we had mm. the car. Amazing photography. Can't wait for the video. Yeah. That's yeah. It. Speaking of which, so so just to, just a quick word on the sort of way we're going to roll out this content because um, uh, so if you're one of the eager listeners who's listening to this on the day that it drops, uh, which will be November the first, the magazine uh, Top Gear magazine goes on sale today. It's on the shelves um, in the UK now. For the next couple of weeks, the only place in the world that you can read. The full story, the full verdict on Gordon Murray's T50 is in Top Gear magazine. So you've got to go and buy yourself a copy of that. Or if you're an international uh, listener, you can also get it on Apple News Plus, yes. the magazine. Yes. Yes. So, so you don't actually have to physically go to, to Apple News Plus. You'll be able to read it on there. Um, uh, then there's going to be a, a couple of weeks. And in a couple of weeks, middle of November-ish, um, there will be the video on YouTube. And the website driving. And the website yeah, drive and, and, every, and everything else. So we're, we're just staggering it out a bit because there's um, there's so much to come and we, we, we really want everyone to experience this story in, in different ways. And I actually think, given the nature of how analogue the car is, what Gordon's trying to achieve with it, I quite like the idea of people buying a, a print book, sitting back in a comfy armchair, reading Ollie's words as he 
you know, agonised over them. Mm. Um, the art desk have done a fabulous job with the layout in the magazine. We've given it 20 pages. When's the last time we gave a single car 20 pages well, in, that in, demonstrates, in, doesn't it? in the what magazine? A, what a moment this is. It's where yeah. you should get the mag. And of course, Mark, Mark Riccioni's fantastic, fantastic photos. Um, so, yeah, um, if you've enjoyed listening to us now... Um, well, next week, if you stick around for next week, we're going to tell you what else is in that issue. It's not just It's not just a TV. Amazing, you did say it was a printed book, when it's <laughs> yeah. not either, but there is other content <laughs> there. Which that, we'll, that's we'll just the old week. phrase, isn't it? The book. The book. Yeah, so, call uh, the magazine The Book. Yeah. Um, but yes, there is other stuff in the issue, and we're going to be doing a whole other podcast on that, because, um, yeah, loads more going on. But um, there we go. I've, I'm, I've, Wow. I need to lie down in a dark room. I need to drive it, but I don't think that's ever going to happen. Will we get another one again? Who knows? Oh, who knows? Well, yeah. let, let, let's see. I mean, Ollie's got Gordon on speed dial, so... Yeah, yeah. I have. Best mates. Busy mates. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one. Thank you for listening to the Top Gear Magazine podcast. Hope you enjoyed that. And don't forget to subscribe, to leave us a review, to leave us a star rating. But also check out what is in the rest of the feed because as well as interviews, we've got our monthly uh, behind the curtain look into the issues that we make. And also there's some new audio tidbits coming. So like Jack says, subscribe. Subscribe.